So, Jason, right. we ready to move into MotoGP. Mm, are we ever. Let's do it. Are we ever. Now, all right, so I'm going to let you start because I have lots of thoughts. So, again, I'm, I'm going to I, – I, it's hard to start, honestly. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I mean me. Jorge, Martin, Jorge Martin – Starting from pole, let's let's. Mm-hmm. This guy ran a phenomenal race. He really the did. entire Beautiful. race. Fifty fives, just about. His first lap was a two hundred one, I think, and the entire mm-hmm. the, every single lap after that was a fifty five. Mm-hmm. Um, other guys obviously dipped into the fifty fours here and there, but but mm-hmm. for his f- second race on a MotoGP bike, starting from pole, he, he, Jorge Martin ran a phenomenal race. That's all there is to it. And I think that he was—he deserved that podium. He—he he absolutely deserved that podium. Uh, beyond the podium itself, the reaction and the comments that he made regarding seeing Zarco pass him and realizing, okay, this is my teammate. This guy's fighting for a championship. I'm a rookie. I need to learn. There's so much maturity and respect and just, just amazing attributes to this rider and and that's coming from someone who really wasn't a huge Jorge Martin fan when he was in Moto3 yep. or Moto2 but now right. when he now he's and I was very skeptical when I I heard okay he's going to step directly into MotoGP on a Ducati I'm thinking oh, okay let's see how this goes he's going to be sitting at the back of the pack not the case no. see, you know and nope. he's he's adapting so well to this bike he's such a mature rider he, he seems so down to earth in what he's doing such a respectful rider but at the same time it, he's going to get out and i think he's going to get his elbows out here really really soon and i think he's going to be taking it to some of these guys that have been in the class for a bit yeah i i don't think he's I, he's no shrinking violet and he when he can win he will win um i think so yeah so him starting from pole was a big shock uh, one two start from Premack was that's really unbelievable so again something we don't see very often that i don't see and i haven't seen in my racing uh viewership um but let's not forget to mention the guy that won the race ran a great race in his own right fabio quartararo i mean he he really did run a phenomenal race he was patient in the beginning didn't panic uh, kept it there, and when he had the pace, he just went ahead and took it out there. And the last two laps, he was unscathed. You couldn't catch that guy; he was on fire. So absolutely, you know, So lots of credit to Fabio for for being a great rider. I I reserve judgment on the Yamaha team until we get into Europe, because um, when the traffic is getting backed up and they can't get out front, they're going to struggle. And we saw that at the beginning of the race. We saw it. Um, but they, they were patient and worked their way through. Maverick falling all the way to fifth is kind of a big deal to me. Just okay. because, and I'll tell you why. I, I Because he spent so much time in 10th and 11th. And I he may have had the pace early on, and he just wasn't doing it. But he definitely had the pace at the end of the race to be right there on the podium. But I don't. I mean, this is classic Maverick. When you have that pace, you need to be there, right? You don't get that many chances in this class, and this is a track that is great for your bike. When you can get those, when you get that open track and you can go, you gotta go. And he just couldn't, he couldn't put it together, and he finished fifth, which was again not a disaster. But I, 
I expected more. I wanted him to do more than that. But I think that's the way it's always been with me and Vinales, you know? Yeah, I'm going to back up a little bit and go back to Fabio for a second. We'll stick with Team Yamaha, though. Um, so Fabio, we've kind of dinged him a bit for being a wild card in, in the last few times that we've talked when we brought his name up. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw a more mature Fabio Sunday night. Um, okay. You know, Fabio worked towards the front. He even in his interviews, he said, you know, he had looked at data. He looked at, at what their goal was mid race. He saw, OK, I've got the pace. I've got the tire. I can do this, make a decision and go, you, you know, and, and and start moving towards the front and picking that those spots off, making good passes, making smart passes. Now, I would say he, he went two spots up in the same. The lap that he passed Zarco, he immediately passed Jorge Martin a few turns later and thinking the lap uh, or in the turn 15. So he didn't waste. Mm-hmm. He didn't wait around. When he saw that he had the pace, he definitely didn't wait around. Right. But at the right. same time, when he got to the front, I don't feel like he he didn't try to take off like a runaway freight train. He was still very poised. I think he he rode. Uh, it was a more mature race than I think I've seen Fabio run. Um, okay. With the exception being the race from Jerez last year when when Marquez went out. I, I think that Fabio that was a. A fairly calm race for him because he he had the pace he had the gap he could manage the gap easily but Sunday night he knew that he didn't have the top speed you know he knew that Ducati yeah. was gonna that, that a Ducati could very well pass him into turn one and I think mm-hmm. he managed that much better than we've seen he in sure the past did. now like you're saying though, absolutely like you're saying yeah. though we're, we're really gonna see what Yamaha can do as far as uh, as European tracks go I will add, Fabio has ta- talked about the development of the Yamaha this year. Even though the engines are frozen, they've got more front-end feel now. And he's much more comfortable overtaking under the brakes now. And he's getting way more feedback than he was last year out of the bike. Uh, that was one of the post-race comments that he made. Uh, that he, you know, Last year, especially when he made this comment, Valencia race came to mind. He said that you know he would break, he wouldn't get any feedback, and then immediately the front was gone. Um, this year he's able to break harder he, he can feel the he, he can really feel the bike talking to him and that i think was substantiated in a couple of the breaks uh the times into turn one he was very rossi like on the brakes uh, we know that rossi is a it was a demon on the brakes in his prime and it still is but but fabio's ability to break into turn one just looked so impressive to me yeah especially no, strong, given really the strong, fact that man. traditionally Yamaha doesn't give a lot of, you know, they don't, that when everyone else is running a hard tire, the Yamahas don't, they run a, a medium, softer medium, you know, at, at European tracks at least. So knowing that Fabio has that kind of confidence in the front end, it, it's, I don't want to say it's scary. It should be scary for other riders, but I definitely think it should be something in, in everyone's mind that, okay, maybe Yamaha doesn't have the, mo- the most power in the bike, but they still might be able to run their lines and make good passes and use that corner speed to get that get the bike out of the corner. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think those are all good points. I, I really – I just – I want to believe in Yamaha, but – I have I'm to. Reserving. You know me. You know I, I, oh, I'm obligated. I oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, speaking – Speaking of, we've, we've talked about the guys that we were really impressed with. I mentioned Maverick, who I thought had a so-so race. Um, Alex Renz. Alex Renz looked a little ragged to me. He finished fourth, but, man, he was 
he just kept making mistakes. You know, like, I, I don't know if he was just pushing that hard because he knew that's what he had to do. Um, but he he looked ragged. But, you know, he brought it home and forth, which is a which is a good thing. He, he just edged out Maverick there at the line. Um, and, you know, they he finished fourth. So I don't want to bang him too hard. I just, I mean, did you think that? I mean, did you think he was always in control? I felt like he was on the edge all the time. Yeah, I don't think we've really seen Renz comfortable yet this year. Uh, you know, when no, Renz gets, when he gets comfortable, he's 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 just a menace. He's a quiet, quiet, oh. just menace that's back there working through the pack. He's so smooth, absolutely he's so smooth. Well, as we've seen, obviously, still the Suzuki doesn't qualify well. So these guys are coming from the back, you know, not back of the pack, but you know, mid pack. And mm-hmm. whenever they get into that groove about mid race, they really start to start working up through the pack and then before you know it you've got a yamaha up front you've got a ducati up front and pot you know sometimes a ktm depending on what track you're at but then there's always a blue a blue suzuki that's just ready to come through and, yeah, and absolutely and they're scary yeah. but but no to your to, to agree with you alex rinch just hasn't really looked comfortable yet um no, I, think I think that he feels right, yeah. some pressure because mm-hmm. his teammate is the world the defending world champion his teammate sure. doesn't qualify as well as he does, but his teammate is always there soon in the race to pass Renz. Uh, and Joanne Mir right. normally always catches up to Renz and then and then doesn't blow by him, but right. passes him right. and then continues progressing through the pack. So that's when I think that Renz kind of gets into that, that rushed mm-hmm. mode where he starts to get ragged. He starts to get less tidy going into turns. He starts to lose that fundamental ability to really exploit the strengths of the Suzuki and taking care of that tire. Right. So, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I don't think that we've seen the best of Renz yet this year, but I do think that we will in Europe. I, I want to see him hit his we'll groove, yeah, get I, some I comfortable tracks the at him. The best is yet to come, right. I, so you mentioned his teammate, who we have heaped praise on for his racecraft, and then he goes and makes a move on Miller that I can only describe as... I can't. I don't know if I want to say those words. I would. I would describe it as, "What are you doing?" <laughs> like, yeah. Um, come on. Like, I just got finished pumping you up and saying how impressed I am with you, and you go in there and stick it in there like a jack off. Like, why in the world would? I mean, he. If I'm Miller, I'm a little miffed about that move myself because there was no chance. Now, to Mir's credit, he knew it, and he apologized immediately. Oh, yeah, he absolutely. Didn't, he didn't give that space up, though. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're not going to see that happen. No, I, that it was it was ambitious um, at best is what I'll say. That's my diplomatic answer, and I'm going to stick to it. So. You know, it was a it was an aggressive move. It was overly aggressive. I don't think that there was much. There was obviously no space there. Jack Miller kind of closed the door, and and by that point, Joanne Mir was already committed. Uh, so I think it was that or plow straight into Jack Miller's back tire and right. take them both out. You know, and Jack Miller did very well to stay up. Um, you know, good on Joanne Joanne Mir for apologizing, but the guy that you did that to. <laughs> is <laughs> running behind is, is is the guy in the Ducati garage that really thought that he was going to step into the Ducati this year and be the guy. I, sure. I really think that Miller thought that. I, I think that Miller 
thought, okay, Dovey's out, I'm in, I've got some time on the Premac Ducati, I'm gonna move into a factory Ducati uh, team, these guys are gonna are, are gonna be, you know, not at my every beck and call, but, but I'm gonna be their number one rider. And, and then, and that race, when that happened, you know, I, I, I want to say, I, and correct me if I'm wrong, was he not the last Ducati, uh, the last of the, uh, between the Mac and Factory at least? Yeah, he finished last, he finished ninth. No, I mean, when that uh, move happened, when that, when Oh, no, they, he was, he was, now, yes. So, there was just about three or four laps where he was ahead of Bagnaya. Okay. Um, but that he was behind Bagnaya at that point. So, so he was the last of the. I'll say the the last of the yeah. uh, the st- strong Ducatis in the field. Yeah, you know, not absolutely. to take any anything away from the other guys, but um, yeah, two, the no. two rookies at least. Right. You know, um, right. so this guy is already not happy in the race, and right. then you throw a bike straight up into his backside, mm-hmm. and and. He's not. That's not going to go over well. And we know Jack. Nope. Jack is passionate. He he wears his heart on his sleeve. You know, he's very much like, like how you a, say passionate. Yeah, he's I like he's, it. <laughs> he's very much like Cal Crutchlow. You know, he's got those piercing eyes and and the, there's mm-hmm. that intensity about him and that presence about he's him on Aussie. the bike. He's an Aussie. He's not. He's not afraid of you. But but what happened after that? I don't think I can, and, and I'm, I'm going to preface this by saying I am a Jack Miller fan. I, I don't like, I'm not a Ducati fan. I'm, I'm not a, not a huge GG fan. I uh, wasn't a huge Dovey fan. Um, but I, so I preface that with saying that I am a Jack Miller fan, but what happened in turn fifth or turn 16 was mm. just wrong. It was, it, it was, it, it, it was immature. It was stupid. Sure. Um, it, and it didn't have any place on the race uh, on a racetrack. And and I, I'm gonna go. Uh, this might be a this this is gonna be a step further and, and might be a bit far. But the principle behind the the, the move of what happened was very Fanati like. In the fact that you used your bike as a controlled torpedo to to hit somebody, you know, and, and of course he knows the trajectory and it wasn't like he T-boned him and he, you know, he's going to cut the bike in half, right. but you know, he purposely bumped him hard and, and, and I, I would, I would, and this is the, our frame of reference, like, right? We're track day riders. So how would you feel if you had tossed it up the inside of somebody and then a little while later they come at you and you're riding your ride, you're doing your thing. You come out of the last turn at CMP and all of a sudden you have a bike that's punting you into the pit lane. I mean, no, I I wouldn't like it, right? Um, however, I would never have made the move in the beginning that would have caused this problem. But I, I, I see what you're saying, and I understand it. I watched it five or six times. Mir went wide. Yeah, Jack no, no, was no, you're, you're absolutely right. Absolutely, yes. And so Jack would have had to cut throttle to miss him. And I... I realize that you, you're you're playing with people's lives at this level, but not just not just in the hey we might live or die, but whether or not you get you know points and results get you rides, and you know Miller having to chop throttle right there to to miss a guy is a tough choice because it's not something that he would be naturally inclined to do. So should he have bumped Mir? Absolutely not. Should Mir have bumped him? Absolutely not. 
do I think Miller thought to himself, oh, I'm going to teach him a lesson? No, what I think was he saw Mir out wide and thought, F that guy. I'm not giving him room. So, and, and, and that's where I think it is now. I think Jack Miller wanted to bump him. But I think he may ja- have. I, I think it know. was intentional. I, I'm going to go so far as to say is I absolutely think it was intentional. But I don't think Jack Miller realized how hard they were going to converge. You know what I mean? I thought right. Jack Miller might think, "Oh, we're going to rub a little bit, and I'm going to push him out. I'm going to push him a hair wide." But yeah. you know, so I think that that Jack Miller's judgment may have been he saw the red mist. Let, let's let's sure, let's not get absolutely. let's not get out of hand. Let's, the, you know, he saw the red mist, like you said. Mir probably Mir's move in turn nine was a bit ambitious and possibly somewhat desperate as well to, to get that position mm-hmm. because he knew that his bike wasn't going to beat the Ducati down the straight and the only you know right. his and the next sector coming up in the halfway through sector three and into four that was going to be the last sector at four was where the Ducati is going to get a little bit stronger but Mir had that strength going through the fast right hands and then into the fifteen into turn fifteen Mir could have held him off to a point or even gapped him to a point where Jack Miller's advantage on the straight wouldn't have been quite as as prominent right. and you know Mir right. could have mitigated that a bit um, so I think Mir was trying to play the long the long game a little bit with that move um, but it just was I think it was a bit of a, a desperation move um, and and you know to Jack Miller I I, I it, it's it's at the end of the day nothing you know without that I've seen so far at least nothing is happening to Jack Miller nobody's he's not getting no, a no, thousand no. pound fine they didn't kick, they didn't kick each other like uh, like Alcoba and McPhee did so right. you know at this point can we move you know let's just go I into Europe and well, go to Portimao you know, Jack's, and, Jack's going to surgery for arm pump oh, I did not see that I did not see, that is yeah, news to so me he's going to have surgery for arm pump he was he that's why he faded late in the race they said because he had arm pump okay um so they're going to have surgery. Um, I, I want to say something. I'm trying to, I, I've been trying to formulate it in my mind all day. Rossi is in trouble. They will not do what he needs them to do to make the bike good for him because the other guys can ride it like it is. However, I've said it before and I'll stand by it until the day I die, Rossi's earned the right to do whatever he wants. And uh, if he wants to finish, if he wants to finish way down the order in 18th or was it 18th or 17th? 18th? 16th. I'm sorry, 16th. 16th, sorry. 16th. If he wants to finish in 16th and qualify in 21st, I think so. But I, he did say earlier this year he's going to look at it after seven races. If this is his first seven races... I don't think Valentino Rossi sticks around, um, and I, I really, I, I really, I don't care where he finishes. I feel like we've talked about it, we've beat it to death. That he is more than a just a, you know, a, 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 a man. he's more than a seat. Yeah, yeah, the, this, he's more the, than a rider's seat. His presence, yeah, absolutely. His, his presence on the paddock brings so much more than a seat taken up. Uh, right. and, and it, his his presence in the paddock or on the grid or not on the grid has long lasting implications to the sport itself. Um, right. You know, much like Marquez, much like Marquez now. Uh, you know, and and I'm not saying that Marquez is the next Rossi. Please don't don't confuse that. There there cannot be another Valentino Rossi. 
Uh, you know, no, there, there no, cannot be another, another you know, Loris yeah. Caparossi, any of those guys. You know, there's there there are, there are legends that come along, and, and those legends stay legends. Um, That's right. I, I do think that that you're right, Valent, and I think that Valentino Rossi knows this. Va- Valentino Rossi knows that there is the the sun is starting to set on his riding career. Um, mm-hmm. These two races are. I don't want to say fairly, you know, very indicative of that, but but they are starting to shed some light, um, mm-hmm. and, and we're seeing very strong rookies, uh, you know, come into these classes, and and I think that Valentino Rossi has done something very well in establishing the VR46 Academy and developing those those riders as they come up, and uh, e- even into the GP class now, you know, we're seeing several VR46 riders in the GP class. I mean, oh, yeah. he's he is the the racing franchise builder you know and mm-hmm. and he has done so much for the sport and continues to do so the simple fact of of his name and what he has done in his career ha- has taken this for this sport so far and has put so much of of MotoGP on the map you know i knew valentino rossi's name before i had any idea what he who like what bike he raced on right you right. know before i started watch, watching MotoGP, before i knew anybody else in the paddock i knew who valentino rossi was i knew that his you know was vr 46 or i knew that his his number was 46 there are just things that are that are unavoidable when you get to the um when you get to 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 into racing you start seeing those 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 small shots into the 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 view of racing and even and, and beyond just MotoGP, what he's he has done so much for yamaha yeah, you think I mean, Yamaha back. the he first him back from the dead. The first thing you think of when you hear Yamaha or you think Yamaha to me, I think Valentino Rossi, and it, that's just kind of where that that's that's where it is. Yep. That's what he's done for yeah. them, you know. Absolutely. So I think Yamaha Absolutely. really, it really kind of really. I don't want to say they owe it to him to, to develop him the bike around him or to not around him, but but to no. cater to him. But I think that there is. At some point, there has to be a mutual understanding between Valentino Rossi and Yamaha to, to say Yamaha needs to be able to say to Rossi, listen, you have done this for us over the years, and this is where you've taken us, and you have done so much for this sport, but, but now we have to kind of change gears, and we have to look at the next phase of what Yamaha factory racing and what Yamaha right. looks like. And likewise, Valentino Rossi has to be able to look at the, the equation on the same side and say, you know what? It's time for me to, to, to step away, to develop these riders and, and possibly, and I know that there's a, there's a huge, uh, I don't want to say pressure, but there's pride in, in that Italian, that Italian heritage. So that's why I'm not sure if we would see a Valentino Rossi team build a team in MotoGP on a Yamaha um, because of some of the rocky relationship that Yamaha and Valentino Rossi had in the pu- in the past few years, but also because right. of that Italian heritage and the fact that an Italian team wants to see an Italian manufacturer do strong, which is, I think, why we're seeing a, a, a Ducati right now with Luca Marini. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think you're right. So, I mean, you're right. He's brought some riders in, Bagnaia, uh, Marini, both VR46 riders. Mm-hmm. And they're in the MotoGP paddock now, um, you know, and that's 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 his legacy, really. Um, but I've just been thinking about that because I, I, I think you're right. The sun's setting and we can all see it. Um, but race as long as you want, bud. I don't care. Um, I think 
but I would like to, I, I'm, as you were talking, I was just kind of reading over the finishers. You know, Brad Bender put the Red Bull KTM factory bike on in eighth place. I mean, he, he, he did it. He put a top 10 out there. The uh, Miguel Oliveira did you see in 15th. So Miguel Oliveira's start was amazing. It really was. Uh, he nailed the wow. start into, into turn wow. one. He looked fa- looked fantastic. Looked great for he the first no few laps. He had no pace after that. Exactly. But. That that was it. So he he won the race to turn one. But then after that, I think it was it, it was all downhill from there. But no, I'm glad you said mm-hmm. that because I, I was going to mention that as well. You know, Brad Bender kind of salvaged the weekend uh, to an extent for 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 KTM, and I think they're going to have a little bit more hope going into uh, going into the European tracks. Um, oh, and ahead once, of us. And, yeah, absolutely. You know, and then you have uh, Apria in tenth place with uh, Aleish, so not a terrible outing for them. Uh, and of course, your boy Polis Fargaro finishing in thirteenth with Repsol Honda just barely in front mm-hmm. of his teammate Stefan Bridle. I mean, Polis Fargaro is really setting the world on fire, and I'd like for you to talk about that for a minute. <laughs> so. so. <laughs> That's putting me on the spot. So that that's definitely putting me on the spot a bit. I'm just um, trying to get. I'm just. This is. That was a great segue, was it not? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Segued right in. So I was going to mention. I, I'm going to back up just to here, and I want to. I want to mention his brother, Alesh. So Alesh, yeah. I'm looking at times, and Alesha Spargro dipped into the uh, forty, uh, the fifty fours. Excuse me. Um, as I think he. Did, yeah, fifty four seven nine eight was was Alicia's best lap, and he ran okay. he ran a couple consecutive fifty fours. Um, he ran he did run a couple fifty sixes here and there, but no, Alicia Spargo definitely has some pace on that newer Prilly, and I think I think they've taken a, a step in the right direction. We briefly mentioned it last uh, uh, yeah. last week, but uh, but I'm I'm excited to see um, I'm hopeful to see what happens in. Uh, in Europe and with with the European tracks is coming up in the right. future, um, but but yeah no definitely definitely go, keep pushing to Alesh uh, and I think you guys are going in the right direction so I'm I'm excited to see another manufacturer really in the thick of it. Um, that being said, yeah let's let's shift over to the uh, to the Honda and uh, Paul Spargro. Um, Paul, take notes from Stefan Brottle. Uh, I mean, that's all I can really say. That Stefan Brottle's got a lot of time on this bike. Um, yes, he's a test rider, but Stefan Brottle was running a very good practice times. Um, mm-hmm. He finished one one place behind pole, three tenths off of pole. Um, so you know, I, it's it's really hard for me to. Who do you think to, makes more money, Paul Sparkero or Stefan Brottle? Well, that's not a question. Um, Oh, it's a question. It's a question they're asking themselves right now. I well, yeah. I think. No, I, I think you, I think you're right. And I, when it, when you look at it from those goggles, I absolutely think think you're correct. And you know, I saw yet another uh, yet another headline of an article that said Polis Spargo was angry about his his finish. Well, you should be first of all. Um, and shut up. We know you, you don't have to let us know that you're angry. We know every, you're angry. So every single rider in this paddock. You think Maverick Vinales winning the race last week and then moving into this race and placing fifth, you think Maverick Vinales was happy? Go back and watch oh. Maverick. Watch his, the one thing that I'll take away from Maverick Vinales' his interviews were so positive even after a fifth-place finish off of a win. And, and, and that was not something that I'm used to seeing from Maverick Vinales. 
Um, right. You know, we would see Maverick Vinales if he was if he won a race, he would he was all about it. He was super excited, which he should be, and and he was so he was on cloud nine. But the next week, whenever we'd see Maverick Vinales place fifth or sixth or seventh, he was down in the doldrums. He wasn't happy about what was going on. He was complaining the team, the back tire, you know, the rear tire lost grip. We don't have any power. This is going. No, no, no. That that wasn't the Maverick Vinales of this past weekend after a post race interview. It was very much a you know, well, it didn't go the way that we wanted to. We had some, we got some good information. We got some good data. We have a good direction that we're going into. So now we're going to take that and we're going to be stronger. We're going to come back. We're going to come back even stronger. So the, the so Paul Spargro. We don't care that you're upset. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It, it, you, <laughs> this is this is your job. You have to step in. You wanted this. Don't let's not forget that you. Yeah. You, you really wanted this. You wanted to be the teammate of Mark Marquez. You wanted to get on the Honda. You you made comments last year that talked about okay. The RC16 is very similar to the Honda, and I'll learn how to ride it, and it won't be a big learning curve. And then you step on it, and then the the very first you know, one of the one of the, the first headlines that comes out this year is well the, the RC the RC213V is much different than the RC16. You kidding mm. me? So I, I think that is. I don't know. You know, I'm not a Paul Spargo fan. Obviously, he's a fantastic rider. He shows some promise. I think. Um, right now, there's no consistency. I don't think out of pole. Um, yeah, I, I have thoughts. So here are my thoughts on Pole Spargo. You went to KTM to develop a new bike, and that was a huge challenge. And I think what we did was we gave him a pass because he was on a bike that was in development, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, much like uh, his brother is at Apria now, and Pole did a decent job. He did a decent job helping them turn that bike into um, a contender, but it wasn't until Danny Pedroza showed up that the bike really turned a corner. Um, I said it last time. I'm going to say it again. The podiums and wins, if they even come, which I don't think they will, will be far, few and far between for Polo Spargo on the Honda. Mark Marquez is the only rider that can ride a Honda right now. That's it. There's one guy, and he is he is just that good. And that's I'm gonna it. I'm gonna I'm gonna put you that's on the spot. It. I'm gonna put you on the spot here real quick. Oh, good. Your opinion? Mm-hmm. Should Alex Marquez have kept that factory seat? Yes. I agree. Yeah, I, I agree. Alex Marquez started the season very, very off last year. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a new bike, obviously. He was a rookie in the mm-hmm. class. He, he wasn't wasn't super quick. But as the season went on, we saw a lot of promise come out of Alex Marquez. He was still getting to know the front end. He was still getting to know how to how to ride the bike and still understanding how to ride the bike. But there was promise. I think it was at Aragon last year. He was fast. He was super fast. He was. I, I, yes, he should have kept that seat. He was beating Polo Spargaro at the end of the year. And it had to be a tough pill to swallow to get replaced by the guy that you've outperformed. But Honda has a history of this. Honda lost Valentino Rossi because they said it's the bike and not you. And they, I can guarantee you they thought the same thing about Alex Marquez. Well, guess what? Take this 13th and 14th. 
and swallow it and tell me how good it tastes because this is what you've got now and I don't care I, I Honda when they when they think that they have a bike and that Mark Marquez has led them to think this that it's their bike it's not your bike it's not your bike at all it's not I, I so and I think that we even saw that last year with Nakagami you know when nobody Naka, could ride it no well not for occasionally Nakagami at Aragon he might have been the fastest but he crashed out so you you then the reason that Nakagami really kind of, I think made a step forward was he's he got access to Marquez's data he started to mm-hmm. see Marquez's data and how Marquez rode the bike and he tried to take that recipe and and, and right. mold his riding into that Marquez type style and 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 it I don't want to say it worked, but it was a step forward. And then, you know, turn four came around at Aragon, and the and the or turn five, and the and the, the tuck, yeah. you know, the front tucked. So, you know, there was there was definitely promise there. But then again, Nakagami finishing in seventeenth. Yeah, Paulus Bargro in thirteenth place you. is the is the was the fastest Honda. And and if that's your yeah, if that's your bragging right that you are the fastest Honda, and you're in thirteenth. Right. You know, I think there's we got to back up a little bit, and and, right. and Honda's got to reevaluate Cal what they're doing. couldn't ride that Honda either, and that is a big thing to me. Cal Crutchlow's a phenomenal rider. Uh, he's a he's a, he's won races. He he's always he was always at the sharp end when he was on a Yamaha. You know, he was always up in that top five, six, seven, and but when he went to went to LCR and Honda, it was it was trouble and. I thought it was a real slap in the face to Alex Marquez, and I wondered if it would punch the clock on Mark Marquez looking somewhere else. You did that to his brother. That's a problem. Yeah, and and I'm not sure. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, I I, I kind of go back and forth with that a little bit, um, just because the I don't want to say the dynasty that Mark Marquez has built with Honda, but like you're saying, Honda has developed that bike solely, essentially for Marquez. Um, yeah. So who you know, would, I mean, even name a manufacturer that would. True. Though. I mean, I, that guy's special. True, and, and and you know, even Jorge Lorenzo when he jumped on the bike. Uh, Issues, nothing but issues all the way around the bike. The, the obviously Jorge Lorenzo and Mark Marquez ride the bike completely differently. Jorge Lorenzo right. loves that that keeps the tires in line. He likes to be nice and clean and tidy going into corners. Mark Marquez does not. Mark Marquez rides the bike very loose and very very ragged and and has the bike dancing all over creation and he that works for him. He does yep. fantastic. He knows where the limit is. That's right. Um, and so. You know, and even, I'm excited to see him come back. Like I, I'm not a huge Marquez fan, but I am excited to see what happens when he comes back. Oh, it's going to throw a whole another dynamic back into this yeah, paddock because absolutely. now these guys have a season sans mm-hmm. Marquez. These guys have a season mm-hmm. of running elbow to elbow with each other, and they're all getting used. You know, they've gotten used to what kind of what's going to happen and and who's going to do what in the middle of a race. Well, now you're throwing the wild card back in who oh, dominated yeah. you two years ago and you know it, and whether or not we see that domination again with the injury as he continues to heal and gets stronger and 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 gets right. back into the groove he's definitely going to be in the middle of the pack with these guys and he's going to be throwing his elbows out he wants to win we've we've seen that he has a yeah. an animalistic right. instinct that he just wants to win he has to win absolutely but we going about him but going back to, to paul spargro you know not only the the bitter pill that well, that is 
what I think Paul Spargo thought he was going to jump on this bike and was going to be top five, top three yeah. podium and everything, every single race. I think he thought that too, yeah. It's got to be a bitter, tough pill to swallow when Brad Bender is on the bike that you helped develop and has taken that mm-hmm. bike and is more successful on that bike than you are. Yeah, has won a race, is now finishing ahead of you. And that's one I, thing. I, this is this is this is why I don't. This is what Pont, with Honda. I don't know what they're thinking sometimes. Like why, why, why? But Honda's going to do what Honda wants to do. Absolutely. And I mean, they're going to pay for it. They're going to pay for it, though. They're paying it's, for it right now. It's very it's very similar to what you know Ducati has done in the past to riders. Oh sure. So. Sure. Well, I, I think I mean, it's that's it. That's it. That's that's. I mean, we could speak for hours about our feelings about that stuff. We don't know what yeah. happens behind the scenes, but I will promise you, if I am Mark Marquez and you do that to my brother after the end of the year that he had, the speed that he was showing, I'm like, okay. Well, he didn't right, even get much of a chance. To... I mean, they announced that he wasn't going to be in the team, what, the second or third race yeah. into the season or not even the, not even that far into the season. It was yeah. – he really didn't get a chance. he wasn't doing poorly. He never did poorly on that bike. I thought he had a couple of low finishes, but he brought the bike home, and he slowly got better and got better and got better. And I'm sure Mark was right there helping him and putting – you know, whisper in his ear because Mark is the, the Honda whisperer, man. Right. But – that could have been a really cool team for Honda. Instead, we got angry Aspargaro and his tantrums. That, and when if Mark Marquez comes back and puts that thing on the top step and you're still in 13th, guess what? Guess yeah. what? Oh, well, I can't good. wait. A lot of eyebrows are going to raise. But but not to uh, – I definitely want to want to shed light um, – or I want to want to praise Stefan Brottle for the work that he does on the oh, Honda. Oh, sure. Um, you know, this guy, is, he's jumping back and, and he's racing in Marquez's stead. So I, uh, I, I'm definitely, you know, he's not he's not fighting for wins or podiums or top tens. But he's not supposed um, to. It's exactly right. right. He's there to get data, he's I think. He's getting points, though. Yep. yep, data and points. He's doing those things. And so Stefan Brottle. That's a win. Keep doing what you're doing and keep yeah, bringing man. the bike home and seeing the checkered. A um, lot of respect. A lot of respect for Stefan Brattle. So where do we want to move next? Um, I mean, we've got we've got a couple riders that we haven't chatted about, mostly because they're always in the gravel trap. Um, you know, Iker Lekawona, for some reason, is looking at my uh, – he's jumping out at me in my stat sheet, stat sheet right now. And I'm, I'm I, just – I told you, over under, he's, his contract's up this year, right? He was, I don't, he was there last year, right? Yes, he was. So his contract's up this year. I can't. No I, I I I don't know. I don't know if I would re, if I could resign him. I, I really don't. Um, the I, ta- I can the, tell you, I would not. The ta- from a business standpoint, no. Uh, you know, from a talent and and hopeful development standpoint, there's 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 talent there, obviously. Yeah. But go back to Moto Two. Yeah, right? uh, uh, show yes. me there. Show me there. We saw the very expensive. so we saw very similar things out of Moto Two, right? We saw a very fast rider that was at the front of the pack, but then yeah. that fast rider was immediately in the gravel trap because he was over the mm-hmm. limit. So mm-hmm. there's there's got to be some sort of a of a wake up call there, and they hey yeah. you know we've got to back up and do something here. Yep. Yep, you're right, man. But uh, that's the that, I mean. That's the, that's Eker's story. I mean, he's probably very, uber talented, but if you don't finish, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how talented you are. It matters with the results that you get, and I think this is this is the ultimate proving ground for that. Um, and you have to do it. I mean, all these guys, 
every one of them to a man has to put results up to keep that seat because that's the level that you're at. It matters. And uh, when you don't put up results, you don't keep the seat. It's that simple, right? Absolutely. Yeah, well, I mean, same for us. Like, if I don't keep up my end of this podcast, you're going to kick me out. I will. I'll so. be looking for people and accepting resumes. <laughs> but I, I tell you what, there's one person. Uh, there's one person we have not talked about tonight. Yeah, and you know who Go I'm ahead. going. It's your boy. It, it is. It is Captain Calm Down himself, Johan Zarco. I know. I know. He 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 is he is so good this year so far. I am so impressed with what he's doing. I'm. He's on the right bike. He's with the right team. He's in the right situation. What a huge, what a huge gamble it was to jump out of a factory team midseason and say, "I'm not doing it anymore. I am done." You know, I, man, not many people, like you said, not many people had the balls to do that. That's a leap of faith, you know. And he he kind of got to to tour those bikes a little bit. I think he stepped in for Honda one a couple races, and yeah, and, and you know, yep. and then Ducati picked him up, but. But you know, you you mentioned you know he's doing well. He's he's in the right the right team. He's on the right bike. But beyond that, watching his post race interviews, I think he's in the right mindset. It, it, he doesn't have a, a an anim an anim an animosity that he's housing. I think towards nope. KTM or any kind of frustrations or you know nope. I'm going to stick it to KTM this year. Like nope. his comments that in post race interviews were very very constructive in the fact that you know. This is going good right now. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm in a good, I'm in a good place. I'm with a great team. We're working together. It, you know, everything. He he's very much on a high right now, and, and I think that, I want to see Johan Zarco ride this high out. You know, he's leading the championship on a satellite I team. I know. And, and yeah, that's and, amazing. Uh, we, I, I'm I'm really impressed with him right now. And, and you know, my wife, she is a huge Zarco fan, and I call her all out on it all the time. She's a Zarco fangirl. I, I liked Zarco when he was on a Yamaha. I, I wasn't a huge Zarco fan. I was I was more of a, on the KTM side, I guess, of the house of, well, he needs to ride the bike better, you know, and, and he was given the bike such a, uh, say, a negative light, but he was just, he was very honest in, in what was going yeah. on in the garage. He was, he couldn't ride the bike. The bike, they weren't changing the bike for him. They weren't developing the bike for him and kind of moving him in that direction. Um, and, and then he comes and, jumps on this ducati and before that you know he jumps on the honda last year and does well on the honda he did better on the honda than he did on a ktm and then raised a few eyebrows with that and then here he's on the ducati leading the championship two races in granted the ducati straight you know he's he and he went like a rocket down the front straight so he's he's able to exploit the top speed of a ducati um sure but so we'll see what happens when we get to europe but I'm I'm really excited about what the Premac team right now is doing um, with know, Jorge great. Martin and Zarco because these oh, two guys are, are they're absolutely and, and Martin got a got a fantastic lesson um, in both leading the race and then when he got to to see Fabio pass him and make really good judgments and really good mm-hmm. respectful um, um, uh, mentality that he maintained whenever he saw Zarco pass him. So I, I really, really like this, the Premac team and the way that their riders are working uh, with each other and the respect that they have with one another. I agree. I like that a lot. I think um, I think those guys have just done a phenomenal job this year. I wish them the best of luck going forward, and hopefully we'll see 
Framac stay at this pointy end of the race because it's good for racing and it pushes the the factory team, especially the Ducati factory team. You know, we made the point about the the rocket down the front straight, but you know he beat the other two rockets from the factory side that are supposed to have the best bike and the most support and the most development and all that stuff. He's beaten them now twice, and uh, much respect to him for what he's accomplished. And I I can't wait to see what the year holds. I like I said, there's just so many storylines that I want to see played out for the rest of the year. I'm excited about it. You know, we have some animosity already in the in the paddock, which is good for us. It's drama. We like that. As long as it leads to good racing and, and clean racing. We want clean racing, but as long as I don't mind if they get after each other a little bit in the post the press conferences, you know. I liked it when Marquez and Rossi were sniping each other at the press conferences. I like that because you know, when you go on track, that's motivation. That makes you ride a little harder. So let's go get it. You know, and I, I think 2021 is going to be a barn burner, and I am excited. Absolutely. I, 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 absolutely. I, can't, I just echo everything that you said. I can't really expand on it too much further. I think we've got a lot to look forward to this year. Um, yep. Just there, there's a lot more to unfold, you know, as we move forward. The return of Marquez and and yeah. you know that's going to be a huge huge thing for the sport. You yeah. know that people are going to be chatting about it. So oh yeah yeah, yeah we I, will too. We'll be chatting about it. So, yeah, and you guys you will know. be here listening to it. So that's right. Well, don't before we go, let's thank our sponsors. And now that's done. And now that and that's done. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I've enjoyed this conversation. I was really excited to get done with this, and uh, you know, to everybody out there, man, keep the rubber side down, stay safe. And until next time, I'm Jason. And I'm Bo. We'll talk to you soon. All right, guys. Take care.